At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 394th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Do you want to save money at the grocery store, eat more organic, whole foods, cultivate food security, and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food. They think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow food, or if you think the only food that you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. I've helped thousands of people just like you learn to grow their own food. And I'm speaking from my own experience when I say that with the right knowledge in place, there is no such thing as a black thumb. With this webinar, you can begin making your garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or IWantToGarden.com. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is propelling organic produce from fringe to mainstream. We're talking with Tonya Antol about her upcoming Organic Grower Summit. Tonya grew up on her family's table grape and citrus farm in Delano, California. From being a vice president of organic sales to consulting about organic ag investments, she has been a driving force in organic farming for more than 30 years and has received several awards recognizing her work in the ag industry. Currently, she is an adjunct professor of fresh fruit and vegetable marketing at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, a guest lecturer at both Hartnell Junior College and California State University Monterey Bay, and she is the co-founder and executive vice president of the Organic Produce Network, OPN, which launched in January of 2017. Welcome to the show today, Tonya. Are you ready to rock organics? Absolutely. Let's go. Excellent. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Sure, absolutely, Greg. First of all, it's a pleasure being on your podcast. Thank you so much. And my path is I start with the fact that I am a farmer's daughter and I grew up on a table grape ranch, as you mentioned, with citrus and table grapes. And my first job at 10 years old was driving tractor and helping harvest crops. And so I'm a farm girl through and through. And my passion and my roots are deeply seated in the San Joaquin Valley in agricultural rural California. Mm -hmm. 
so went away to college and thought I was going to be in communications in a different way. Did my internship at ABC in Hollywood. It was pulling on my heartstrings to come back and get involved in, you know, the root of my being, which is in agriculture. So before I went back home, I started working for a Los Angeles wholesaler by the name of Frida's Specialty Produce, which was one of the largest specialty operations and sold, you know, incredible specialty crops like Sheramoya and, you know, Sapote and all these things that consumers had not heard of. But she was brilliant in her branding and really introducing specialty crops from around the world to consumers. So I learned a lot about how to market. So my communication education got transferred from thinking broadcast to actually promoting and selling fresh fruits and vegetables. From there, I went to work for the largest organic table grape operation back in the San Joaquin Valley. And it is there that I learned about organic agriculture and the difference between that and conventional. And the owner, Steve Pavich, put an ecology sign on the big water tower and really just kind of put a stake in the ground and said, we're going to be different. So I took what I learned from the specialty end of business and what I knew from growing up in the agricultural industry and helped introduce organics to a wide audience throughout North America. Yeah, it's very exciting. You know, several decades of living and learning and promoting what farmers do best, which is bringing the best the land has to offer to consumers across the country. Exactly. Wow. You have very deep roots, pun intended, in the organic industry and growing food. You know, we were early on where we were selling, you know, the CSAs and the small natural food wholesalers and the really small natural food stores. I mean, at the time when we were selling Whole Foods, you know, they were based in Austin, Texas. And, you know, they really just had that Texas based. And there was Mrs. Gooch's in Los Angeles and Bread and Circus in Boston. And so all these small to middle size, you know, alfalfas, you know, that we all know that a lot of those became the larger aggregate of whole foods later on. But, you know, I was in that early stage of introducing organics to consumers. Large grocery stores started looking at them in the late 80s. And I received a phone call from a stop and shop supermarkets in Boston, Massachusetts. And this gentleman by the name of Harold Alston that was running the department said, I believe that I am losing my customers to this store called Bread and Circus. Have you ever heard of it? And I said, yes, Harold, I sell them every week. And he said, I honestly think I'm losing my customers. And I think the difference is that they have organic and I don't. Would you come and talk to me? This was in the late 80s? Wow. My claim to fame is I'm the first person to sell organic into a mass market supermarket in the United States in the late 80s. And what was so great about that is Harold Alston was the one that all the other retailers in the United States watched for trends and new innovations. So from there, I was able to take that testimonial and sell Grand Union in New York and A&P and then Dominic's in Chicago, Vaughn Supermarkets in Los Angeles, Alpha Beta in Arizona, you know, then Bashes. It was really East Coast, West Coast, and then we started filling in the middle, and from there it has exploded. It is now today a $50 billion category for all products sold as organic. I was one of the early 
what we call O pioneers, along with all these fabulous organic growers that help propel from, you know, like you said, mom and pop to mainstream. Yeah, wow. I didn't know what I was getting into today with a conversation with you. Well, I just want to take a moment and appreciate and thank you for the epic work that you've done over the past 30 years in this arena, because it's, in my opinion, one of the most important things we can be doing. Thank you. Well, it was a lot of travel and it was a lot of hearing a lot of no's early on because the buyer didn't understand it. But what we kept pushing was that you may not understand it, but there is a consumer base out there that is interested in it. And I was a young mother trying to feed my family primarily organic, healthy diet. And I was living in the central San Joaquin Valley and I literally would pack my kids up once a month and we would drive to Mrs. Gooch's in Los Angeles where I could freely give them a little cart and say, have at it. You don't need to read labels, anything in this store. And it was so freeing and so great. And then we would pack it all in the car and put it in the freezer and try to last a month. And I kept thinking, well, if I'm doing this, there's got to be other consumers that are feeling this way. And the power of the consumer letter, we used to put, you know, small little tags on all of our grapes that say, you know, these sunshine grapes were grown the way Mother Nature intended. And the feedback was, you know, we'd get these beautiful consumer letters about, you know, give us more. And so we really developed out the line. And then in the late 90s, I moved to Earthbound Farm. Now, Earthbound Farm, like a lot of your listeners, was started out very small. They started out as a two and a half acre raspberry farm in Carmel Valley. And these were two very unlikely farmers. They were New Yorkers that had come out to go to college. And between undergrad and graduate school, they were house sitting and found these, you know, raspberries that were growing wildly. And let me tell you, the rest is history. It's now one of the largest organic brands in North America, you know, producing millions and millions of pounds of salads. Good things can happen, you know, when you start small and think bigger and continue to grow if that's what you choose to do. When that happens, I know that's epic. So Earthbound Farms started as a two and a half acre berry farm. With two young, like I said, unlikely farmers that just didn't understand. They found chemicals in the shed and they go, we don't even know what those are. Uh They bought Rodell's book of organic gardening and they started with that. And then once they got to about 200 acres, they realized they were no longer gardening, that it actually could use that word farmer. Right. And then this company called Costco came a knocking and said, we understand that you have some really cool salad mixes. This was the original mescaline mix, spring mix. Uh Uh-huh. And they said, but you're not big enough. So when you can scale up, we want to do business with you. So Drew met with a conventional farmer in the Salinas Valley and said, I want to make a deal with you. You teach us how to scale up and we'll teach you how to grow organic. And the rest is history. Nice. It was a great collaboration. You know, the conventional farmer didn't know anything about organic, but he knew how to scale up. Yeah. And as we all know, it takes three years to convert land from conventional to organic. Mm -hmm. That's where the commitment started. That was in the early 80s, 1984. And it's now a 50,000 acre operation with over 250 growers, you know, feeding into the earthbound brand. So it's come a long way. And I was very proud to be a part of that team for 13 years as vice president of organic sales. My gosh, maybe we need to get them on the podcast. I think so. 
So, yes, and I will give you their information. So after that, we ended up selling to a group of investors, and that's when I decided to take some time out. So I took some years off, and as I did that, I became a very aggressive manic volunteer. So I knew that there must be another chapter in me, and my business partner, Matt Seeley, and I created the Organic Produce Network. And our reason for that was there was a clear gap in the industry about resources to inform and educate and inspire all constituents about the value and also the values of organics. And we just felt like there was an opportunity to create a company that was based about the organic fresh produce industry community, energizing it and, you know, helping inform people in a high touch, high tech way. We have a weekly newsletter called OPN Connect. We do public speaking anytime anyone wants to have us to talk about organics. And then we do two really good live shows, which we want to talk about today, the Organic Grower Summit, which is happening this December in Monterey, California on December 12th and 13th. Perfect. Wow. When I'm on your website, and very nice looking website, you guys are real serious about this. And I can see with your background and history with it, why you would be. Exactly. We just felt like there was a clear gap. The other industry associations were not, you know, really treating organic, giving it the full attention that it deserves. It's the fastest growing segment in grocery stores today. It's the most exciting way to differentiate a store between your competition. So why wouldn't these industry associations really wrap themselves around this category. So we just said there's a clear gap. And here we are in Monterey County, which was one of the largest growing areas for fresh fruits and vegetables in organic category. So there was just this clear opportunity. And what we did with the Organic Grower Summit, I think the brilliance behind this is partnering with CCOF, which is the California Certified Organic Farmers Association. Mm -hmm. They certify in every state, Mexico, Canada. So they may call themselves California, but they are not. They can be in any state across the country, North America, and they'll certify for you. So we felt it was the perfect partnership to partner with them for this show. So the attendees typically are organic grower and farmers and producers that are wanting to seek additional education and information and learn about new resources, new products, you know, all these allied service people that come to the show, seeds, soil amendments, fertilizer, technology, which is huge. Mm-hmm. So how do you take old-fashioned farming techniques and marry it with technology to bring the best the farm has to offer? And it's a great value. It's two days of intense education and shows with food and opening receptions and all kinds of things. If you are not a CCOF member, the general admission is $4.99. If you're a small grower that is a CCOF grower, we have a super discount for $2.49, and then there's levels in between. So we think it's a great value for two days of information. Wow, no kidding. It is our second year, and last year was a big success. We had 810 growers and exhibitors, and we're shooting for 1,000 this year. We still want to keep it intimate. I still think 1,000 is intimate. We call it a great party in a small room, and we've moved it to the brand-new Monterey Convention Center in downtown Monterey, which has a lot of other, you know, if you want to bring your family, 
family and enjoy, you know, the world-class mm-hmm. aquarium right there in the beautiful harbor of Monterey. It's a perfect place to come. If you happen to be a golfer, you know that Monterey is world-class with Pebble Beach. You know, there's just lots of activities. You can also drive inland, you know, 15 minutes and look at farming operations in the Salinas Valley. We actually have a tour bus that we're offering this year because we're looking at cannabis. And cannabis in the state of California, now that it is legal for recreation as well as medicinal, in that statute, there is mandatory that there will be a certified organic classification for cannabis by 2021 in the state of California. So we're actually offering a, and we put a little spin on this because we're marketers, cannabis tour. So if you're registered, you can do that and you're going to see a indoor greenhouse growing operation that is working its way towards certified organic and then a processing facility that does edibles using cannabis. So that's going to be a fun new addition to the show. Nice. Well, you've thought this well through. You know, we just want to make sure it's something for everyone. A lot of our education sessions are based on the core items like soil amendments, healthy soil practices, carbon sequestration. Mm -hmm. We do plant health. We talk about sustainable investing. You know, if you're a small growing operation and you can't get traditional financing, you know, what are other resources of financing? So we have some experts in that category, like ESOP, employee-owned stock ownership plan depending on your size. So just really kind of rethinking how you look at finances. There's other sessions, let's see, technology. You know, we talk about technology is not just for big ag. And sometimes small farmers think that technology, there's a barrier to investing in technology. Well, we have rental companies that are coming to the show that will rent you this technology for a day, a week, a month, whatever you need. So you don't need to be buying the expensive technology yourself. Right. I've had several people come and talk about their apps. Right. And app technology is super inexpensive. So you can look at your monitoring your water. I mean, what are your biggest issues? Water, labor, and federal regulations, you know, those things. And so we look at all of that and we talk about that through the technology sessions. And then we go a little off base from traditional production-based agriculture, but still agriculture. We're talking about adult organic beverages. So the wine industry and the beer industry, both of which are Uh farm-based, but we want to make sure that, you know, because that is a CCOF certified product as well. So we have some beautiful organic wine and beer companies coming to be part of the program. And we make it fun. You know, your one ticket does everything together. So the networking is awesome. You know, it's much more free-flowing. It's organic. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. So a lot of my listeners are backyard farmers. And I know I have a couple of friends here in Phoenix who started out with like a thousand square feet and now are in multiple dozens of acres and they're actually truly farming. How does one go from the concept of just growing in their backyard to actually becoming a organic farmer that is producing enough to be able to sell at farmers markets and restaurants and that kind of stuff? I think that there is an avenue to finding the market no matter what size you are. So if you're a small farmer like you're talking about, there are a few different options you have. You know, you can be in a farmer's market, you know, and you would just go and register and become part of a farmer's market to sell your product. There's the community sustained CSAs, which help finance you to get in and grow. You actually have the money ahead of your crop, so you can do that, and then you're feeding that. All of these wonderful programs, you know, where you've got all the mail order programs, there's a lot of CSAs that actually have mail order programs 
sometimes to customers that can't come and pick up their products. So there's that avenue. But then, you know, I would also look at your local organic wholesaler and, you know, strike a deal with them where you can be selling into both that, you know, larger market. You don't have access to the larger market. You may not be able to sell into that grocery store, but the wholesaler does. So you can be part of that wholesale network, even though you happen to be a two-acre radicchio farmer. That's okay. You're a fabulous two-acre radicchio farmer that's selling into a wholesaler that's selling it to a retailer along with his other radicchio farmers. You can also do that with a brand. So if there is an organic brand that you really trust and love, Earthbound's a great example of that. When I was there, there was over 250 farmers that rolled up under that brand. And so you can look at brands and say, would you like part of my crop? I will pack it under your brand and it will be another avenue to get to market. And then walk into your local grocery store, you know, and say, hey, I'm a local farmer and this is my crop and this is the time of year. And there's a lot of grocery stores that are taking that product right into the back door of that store. So don't be shy about it. Wow. And then the last one would be food service. You know, you read about these fine chefs that are doing daily menus. Go and build a relationship with them. You may want to grow a different crop. That's how when Drew and Myra Goodman started Earthbound, it was spring mix to the local restaurant because, you know, he had read about how France was, you know, mescaline mix was the new hottest thing. And they started growing it for them. And then this chef left and the next chef wanted iceberg lettuce. So they created this Ziploc bag and drew a header card and stapled it on there and sold it to the local market. Nice. That was like the creation of the first bag salad. So think outside of the box. I think there's all different ways you can look at how you can grow your market and find access to the market. One of the things that my listeners probably know about me is I went back to college late in life. So at the age of 39, I was back in school learning. And one of the things that I did while I was in school full time is I farmed my front and backyard. And I had three or 4,000 square feet under growing that I was doing. And one of the things I did is I made friends with the chefs, a couple of chefs nearby. And the other thing that I did is I took it to a local farmer's market and I had a booth at a local farmer's market. So those are easy ways in as well. And if you don't have the land, the other thing is, you know, there's a lot of urban farming that's going on right now. So why not go to a retirement community or a school and talk them into, you know, growing on some of their excess land and say, hey, we're going to teach the kids where their food comes from. And any excess crop that doesn't go home with the students, you know, I can sell. It's mine because I'm going to be doing this with sweat equity. You're not going to be paying me for it. Or maybe you are going to be paying me for it. Mm -hmm. You know, in a retirement community, I'll take care of your green space. I'll do edible. I'll teach your senior citizens how to grow their own crops. So there's just so many different ways to think about it. Oh, yeah. So you said CSA, and some of our listeners may not know what that is. Yeah, a CSA is a community sustained program. So you would have a subscription. There would be subscribers to your farm. So you would have to calculate what does it cost to grow on X amount of acres of land for the particular kind of crops. So then you would advertise that you have a CSA program and they could buy in by subscription and they can pay monthly, they can pay ahead of time. This is what an annual subscription is. This is what a seasonal subscription is. This is what a monthly subscription is. So you got to give them some options. And then that gives you the cash flow to actually produce the crop. And then you give them either a depot pickup location or you deliver it to them if they're just in your local area or 
way you're shipping it to them. And if you're shipping it to them, obviously that's at a higher price because they have to pay for the shipping. But what CSA does is the community is supporting you to invest in your crop to help you get the crop planted and harvested. Yeah, excellent. Thank you so much for that. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you might have learned from it. Instead of it being just a one particular time, I think it was a period of time where I think I failed and I think it actually was my 30s. And I kind of refer to it as probably the worst juggling act of all time. It was a really crazy time for me as a woman, married, two kids, a full-time career. I was responsible for the house and dinner and laundry. It was just the whole catastrophe. And I think I was always torn between where I should place my priorities. I think the difference between then, because I am a little older probably than most of your listeners, and now is I think young women starting in business right now no longer need to wonder whether they are allowed at the top in leadership or rather they must decide if they want to try to get there and what that involves along the way because there are some personal sacrifices. So I just feel like I didn't do a good job at managing my time and where I should be putting my time and my talent and my effort. So the balancing act got a little unbalanced and I think the work-life balance thing was really hard for me in my 30s and I learned by failure and it ended up in a divorce because it wasn't balanced and I was working for my husband's company and I think the failure was I thought we were building a family business but it was in spite of the family now right there there should be like organ music dun 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 yeah so I would like to use this as a teachable moment and give advice to anyone out there is like take the time to sit back and breathe and prioritize and put yourself in that prioritization what are you doing for yourself to keep yourself healthy and squared away mm -hmm. what are you doing for your relationship what are you doing for your kids and then then what are you doing for work? And I had it ass backwards, excuse my French. I had work ahead of everything because I thought it was for the family business. So that was probably my biggest failure. And I did much better in my 40s. And guess what? The kids end up turning out okay. Thank goodness. I have two amazing kids, but I think we took our eye off the ball of our relationship. And that was a huge mistake. I was there. What do you consider your biggest success? Personally, I'd have to say my children. <laughs> I think in spite of my failures, I think I did a good job and they're both very successful contributors to society and very thoughtful contributors. So that would be one. Professionally, I think it's twofold. I think what I said earlier, being the first person to sell organic produce into mass market supermarkets back in the late 80s really makes me proud because look where it is today. It's, you know, mainstream. It wasn't even measurable in the 80s and now it's a $50 billion industry. So I feel like I played a vital role in that, being that catalyst. And then I really think the other thing is really helping Earthbound Farm reach the goal of making organics available and affordable to consumers across America where they chose to shop. Oftentimes there was articles written about organics being food for the elite and we wanted it to be food for everyone and so we made a point of making sure that not only were we selling the whole foods of the world, we were also selling Walmart and everybody in between and I'm very proud of that. So you can walk into a Walmart store today or any type of well-priced value proposition store and there's organic there and that's cool, you know, and then all the way to the finer end. So I'm really proud of that. It's food for everyone. Wow. 
So what drives you? It's my passion for the movement. You know, one of the most influential factors in helping me succeed in my career is truly loving what I do. And I found my passion and I found my voice in the world of organic produce. And for me, it was really think outside of the box career. It stimulated me and it helped me grow. And I've been asked before, how did you know this was your calling? And all I can say is when you feel comfortable and you're happy in your space, you're exactly where you need to be. And I really think I was called to do this. And I think my communications degree and everything else just kind of built to this moment where it is. And now through the Organic Produce Network and the Organic Grower Summit, it is my calling to help propel it to the next level. That's what drives me. There's more to be done. Yeah. So, so very important. If you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? The Blue Zone by Dan Butner. Dan talks about these places around the world where the happiness quotient is much higher, and that's based on longevity and living with purpose every day, and a lot of it is based on plant-based diets. So there's this connectivity between how you live your life and what you eat and how you you know, have a circle of friends, just the whole thing. It's very holistic, and I think it's something for all of us to aspire to, and you can actually be in a blue zone in the middle of a you know metropolitan area if you live your right life according to this kind of roadmap you know you don't have to be on a greek island you know that sounds so romantic it's not realistic but there are things that we can do at home to be a part of this blue zone and dan butner just is so magnanimous if you haven't watched him on a podcast i would highly recommend it and i would recommend the book to anyone the blue zone really gives everyone kind of a roadmap and a guide on how to live your life to its best and fullest potential, no matter where you are, where you live, and how old you are. And a lot of these people in the Blue Zone are living past 100, but with quality of life. And that's just so exciting to me. Yeah, that is an excellent book. I've seen it before. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Well, if you're in the world of agriculture and you're growing crops, I think it's really important to look outwardly to who is the ultimate consumer of your products. Listening to the consumer and learning what I call the why behind the buy. And I think the way you can go about doing that is go into grocery stores, be the observer. You know, I ask my students the first day of classes, does anybody here know what a six pack of Coors Light costs? And everybody raises their hands. And I said, does anybody know what a five pound bag of red delicious apples are and nobody looks at me I go guess what kids you're in the produce business you're not in the beer business so next time you go in that store get in the produce department look at what the end cap displays are what's on promotion what are they merchandising you know how are they selling the product and watch consumer shopping patterns and what they're picking up and it's okay to ask somebody why did you pick up that melon over that melon you know find the why behind the buy and you know make sure that your products are relevant to your end user. The other thing I would say, and I'll leave it with this, is there is no story more powerful than the story of the farmer, the farmer's family, what he or she are doing to bring the best that the land has to offer. And that story needs to be told with pride and talk about the work that it takes, because I don't think there's an appreciation of what it takes to get from field to fork. And so continue to tell your 
story in any way possible, whenever possible, because it's a beautiful story. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. And thank you so much for joining us on the show today. My pleasure. I hope to see some of your listeners at the Organic Grower Summit. If you want to find out about us, our Grower Summit website is easy. It's just www.organicgrowersummit.com. If you want to know more about our weekly newsletter, it is organicproducenetwork.com. And then just click on the subscribe button and you can subscribe to our newsletter for free. And we're here to help any farmer that wants to become organic and get it to the next level. I really want to encourage anyone out there listening, if you have at all a desire to move from a backyard plot or a small plot to actually moving food into our eating system, our food economy, this conference would be a really, really good one to attend. And I'm going to ask you, would you agree? Absolutely. I agree a thousand percent because again, we have the small mom and pop, you know, couple acre farmer all the way to the multi-thousand dollar operator and how cool is that that you get to sit down next to somebody that has 5,000 acres of something or of multiple crops and you get to network with them? They get to tell you their story and they all have stories. The one thing about organics is organic is scale neutral. We all have to follow the same national organic law, so it doesn't matter your size. We can all be members of the same party. Nice. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash OPN. We are your urban farming resource. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, podcasts, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Claiming your inner urban farmer is easy. Grow food, share it, and name your farm. Then let the world know you're an urban farmer while supporting our podcast. Pick up your urban farmer bling, hats, and t-shirts at imanurbanfarmer.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.